0: up weightlifters welcome once again to another episode of the Hook grip and rip podcast i'm jt silvers here as always with my very good friend the people's pulling guard the people's super heavyweight brandon merrick brandon how has training been this week are you enjoying zach keelander's program so far uh yeah man training is going well
1: it's uh kind of the first time i've actually stuck to a real program like this so you know i'm pretty excited pretty sore beat up but um
0: Happy to keep on going, man. How are you doing? How's your it's training? good stuff? You know, it's been going pretty well. I feel like the lifts are going up pretty fast, and trying to stay consistent with hitting heavy percentages. Um, that's kind of been my goal, and trying to build up a little bit more muscle mass as much as I can. So, you know, just keeping those to the grindstone, so to speak.
1: There you go, man. And and for the for the listeners, you're doing weightlifting plus hypertrophy work correct
0: yeah that's yeah that's the goal here trying to do both at the same time nice well folks we don't want to dwell on ourselves too much on this episode as we have with us one very special guest dr zach riley uh has life been treating you as of late
2: (laughs) well pretty good summer's here just dropped my 13-year-old daughter off at a week-long camp, so things couldn't be much better, I guess.
0: There you go. Now, Zach, I saw on your Instagram that you had a little bit of an incident, a little run-in with a tree. Talk about that a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, I was uh
2: what two days, three days ago, Thursday of this week, I was mountain biking out of Brown County and uh ran full steam down a trail and clipped a tree with my knuckles and uh broke my uh, fourth and fifth metacarpal in my hand. So, uh, yeah, so add that to the list of the long, hallowed list of
0: injuries. (laughs) Well, you can't live a life as an athlete without a couple bumps and scrapes here and there. Um, Yeah. Well, hopefully that's not going to hold you back too much. Um, So, Zach, why don't we we get into a little bit of history as an athlete and then kind of what you're currently working on as well.
2: Yeah, um, well, so I grew up here in Columbus, Indiana, and uh, did most of the sports growing up that one would do, football. um, Basically anything that involved contact or something that was lifting heavy stuff or throwing heavy stuff. And then uh, went to Ball State University uh, and did track and field. And I was a thrower I was a, went in as a shot putter. I had only done track and field for one year in high school. I did it my senior year at Columbus North and went to state in the shot put. And uh, so I just kind of walked on at Ball State thinking, what the heck, I'll give it a try. And uh, ended up my, end of my freshman year, finding the hammer throw because it's not an event thrown in high schools around here and ended up being really good at it. And I think I left. I know I had, I think I had the shot put school record indoors or outdoors, maybe one of them. I was top 10 or top five in the discus and then uh, shattered the hammer record. I was a two-time outdoor uh, Division one All-American in the hammer throw, competed at four nationals, um, yeah, did a bunch of stuff and then kept throwing through the Olympic trials in 2004. Uh, made the finals of the trials in the hammer throw, and then uh, retired the first retirement after that, and moved out to Colorado. Actually, the week after the Olympic trials, I moved out to Colorado and started my PhD in neuroscience. So, oh wow! Um, so then, since that all is finished, I. Did my Ph.D. at University of Colorado. I did a fellowship at Northwestern in Chicago in biomedical engineering. And I've been a professor at IUPUI in Indianapolis since uh, 2009. Um, Yeah, and then I've had various stints I did. Some other sports along the way, I was I competed in judo for many years out in Colorado. Went to collegiate nationals in that. I did. I've done various powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting competitions. Then, 2015, I picked up, did my first Highland Games ever. The guys wearing kilts and throwing trees and stuff, and uh, sounds- turned out I was really good at that, and uh let's see finished as the top amateur in the world for i think two years and then i turned pro and uh finished in the top three or top five my only year as a pro because then i tore my bicep off that year and then fought through injuries and then the covid and then i got old and then i retired from that this last year so
0: there you go oh
2: my gosh kind of a uh, speechless here uh all <laughs> over the
1: place but that, that is that is an insane story right there holy crap yeah that i got was...
2: a i got a 25 year game in the you know in the strength world and it is it is not through studies just studies it is through living it it's definitely been been blessed to have a lot of experience around all strength sports so
1: Yeah, that is awesome, and that's just a testament to you yourself. I mean, that's a lot of hard work you put in right there, not only being a a doctor in neuroscience, but as well as all your achievements in in, uh, sports and things. It's very amazing because, you know, I I only talked to you very, very briefly about track, and then, uh, you know, JT today, he's like, yeah, Zach is all these things, and I was just mind-blown,
2: you know. (laughs) That's incredible, man. Well thanks. The the <clears throat> track stuff really kicked it off. I just, you know, there's something to um there's something to just chucking heavy objects and it's such a well defined it's kinda like lifting a weight. It's such a well defined endpoint. It's you get a tape measure out. If I throw farther than you, I beat you. And I just love that feeling, that objective measure of success. I, I think that's really cool. So, yeah,
0: yeah,
1: and that's, it's one of the oldest sports in the world. So how could you not fall in love with just throwing something really heavy, really freaking far. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of why I, I loved it as I went to college as well. So.
0: So Zach, I'm curious to know, because you've participated in so many different strength sports, Was there any particular one that was maybe more demanding or maybe more challenging uh, than, than others, or, you know, just one that you had maybe more favor for the preparation process
2: than others? Oh, that's a tough one. You know, it's, they all have their own unique um, eccentricities, I guess, you know, like track and field was very unique because you could, you could be traveling, alone i could fly across the country say to stanford or something i could qualify for a big like stanford invite or something i could fly across the country as a college student by myself because no one else would qualify from my team i could show up i could take three throws and then be done and fly back across the country wow and that was uh and track two is very it's you know you always walked around with your headphones on you didn't really share much it was real stuffy real uh you know it's just a very individual sport and then you know contrast that to highland games and strongman and things where you're traveling the country with a group of your friends and you're all throwing together and the crowd loves you and you're you're hanging out and it's it's I wouldn't say it's much more laid back because you all want to win the same way, but it's, it's definitely the camaraderie and stuff is um, it's much more important Um, because in Highland games, you're an entertainer as much as you are a thrower because the butts in the seats at the festival is what pays me to go out there and do these things. So, um, but it's all, you know, it's funny. I have this weird perspective because it's all changed so much when I was in track uh sponsorship contracts were much easier to get so i was sponsored by nike right out of college for two years and and it was a different ball game like i made not great money but decent money to go do things and and was well supported with apparel and training gear and that stuff and and nowadays that stuff's really hard to come by and really you have you're more important to be an influencer than being a good athlete in terms of your sponsorship dollars. So there's some things that there's some things I love about each sport, things that, um, you know, but the funny part is the training for me has always been the same. I mean, I've trained the exact same way for every sport and every competition I've ever done.
0: So, so let's dive a little deep. (laughs) deeper into that Zach um do you design your own training program you know being being that you you know you have the experience that you have or is this something that you just really found a love for when you were in college and just kept going with
2: yeah I did I I've always done my own training uh I actually spent the first year of my master's degree so my undergrad is in um exercise physiology then my master's degree is in biomechanics and okay the first year of my master's degree I was actually a GA strength conditioning coach at Ball State and that's actually where I learned I didn't want to be a strength coach because that was that was my plan was to be a high level collegiate strength coach but uh but I I did not like the babysitting 400 division 1 athletes every day that was <laughs> that was not my gig but uh but I really enjoyed the program writing and uh, the science behind it, and that's what got me into that. But then the funnier part is that as I've gone on, um, actually, I would say my programming for myself and for others has devolved because it's, I stick to what I know works, and anything outside of that I see as fluff and potential for injury. And, uh, and yeah, so it's, I programmed for myself. My program, if you would have seen during my, like, high-level Highland Games days, it was so basic, you would have chuckled at it. Um, You know, I can give you the breakdown. It was super simple, but it was uh, Monday. It was super heavy snatches, working up to a single, usually from a hang, uh, followed by some heavy high pulls, snatch high pulls. Uh, front squats, I would work up to 500 and then depending on how I felt would determine the sets and reps at 500. Uh, never really wanted to go much beyond that. Cause when I got above like 580, 590, uh, the cost benefit was just too high. Um, and then I'd usually follow it up with a bunch of extra posterior chain work. Um, some, you know, 45 degree hyper extensions, something like that, reverse hypers. Uh, Tuesday would usually be some clean pulls, uh, never racking a clean, and then heavy overhead presses, never really bench pressed, Um, and then some accessory ab stuff. Thursday would be snatches and front squats again, doing the exact same thing, but just typically doing more speed work. I would back it down to 70-80%. Uh, And then Friday was, if I was competing that weekend was off, or if I wasn't, then I would repeat a press day and that was it. Wow. And it's been that way for 20 years.
1: Well, I mean, it just goes to show you, you know, simplicity is king. uh, Something that JT and I have talked about quite a bit on our show, actually. Um, You know, and and I'm so glad you said it because we actually had an episode not too long ago where we talked about a a guy named Joel Seedman. I don't know if you've seen any of his oh, stuff. Oh yeah,
2: oh it's terrible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I was just complaining about him what literally yesterday, JT. Yeah,
0: it was yesterday. Uh,
1: uh, but you you can just do simple stuff and it works, like you said. But um, it, it's definitely great to hear you say that, especially where you've been and uh, obviously who you are. So
0: we've got the uh, results to prove it. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, I know a ton of very high level strength sports athletes and they, they don't train any different. It's the same. I mean, I have a lot of friends that maybe replace their Olympic lifts with deadlifts just because they're, they're more comfortable with it. But um, at the end of the day, it's still just simply a heavy pull, a heavy squat variation, some pressing variations, and then it's, some combo of those during the week at different percentages and intensities. And that's it. I mean, it's, there's no room for fluff. Fluff gets you hurt and it makes you more tired. It flames joints up. It, you know, all these other things that I just don't have time for, you know, and, and being 41 and still able to train. I mean, I can still snatch and squat twice a week. And even, and I have a laundry list of injuries, but still being able to do that stuff says a lot that, You know, I've prolonged this the best I could. So
0: it's really the ultimate goal, like, is is to have a long, long training edge and be able to compete and do whatever you want to do in the weight room for as long as possible. Yep. All
1: right. Well, I I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, your time. You uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said you did compete in a little bit of Olympic weightlifting comps.
2: Yep. I've done a couple, uh, done a couple powerlifting, done, done a variety. I used to just enter stuff just to mark it off the, uh, bucket list. So there you go. Um,
1: well, um, I'm kind of gearing up for my first one, I think, um, about 10 weight, 10 weeks out right now, but, um, I would love to hear your experience about, uh, maybe some of the, your, your backroom stories or your, uh, just competition numbers or things like that.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, I got a pretty long history with I've coached a lot of lifters um, just been around a lot my one of my closest friends he was a he's a professor out at UNLV in, in Las Vegas and when we were in Colorado together we were PhD students together. He was vice president of Colorado's Olympic Weightlifting Federation and uh, the fun part about that was he had all the equipment. So anytime there was going to be a, an Olympic lifting meet, in Colorado, we would have to drive the truck and he would drive the equipment around. And so we had brand new Alico bars, plate sets, collars, everything to play around on daily in his garage. So that was quite a hoop. But uh, wow. it's, uh, you know, there's going to be freaks and everything you go. There's that spectrum of freaks that are awesomely efficient technically, but aren't that strong. Then there's the freaks that jump out the room with power and strength, but then you look at their technique and it's shit. Um, You know, my numbers, I've snatched 160 from a hang. Uh, I've cleaned, I've cleaned, I think 195 or 200 kilos. Um, I don't know jerk numbers. I've never really played around that much with uh, heavy jerks and training. Um it's to me it was more about the consistency because I, you know, like with snatches, when I get when I get to that 150, 160 kilos, my elbows start to go and my shoulders. And it just wasn't worth going above that in training. Um so typically my training numbers were, you know, usually in that one forty kilo up to one fifty five kilo range. That was the the band that I worked in most of the time, um, that was the what seemed that, that I responded to the best. Um, I also just hate dropping into full cleans and full snatches. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't translate to athletics much. Uh, now, for the actual lifts, yeah, extremely beneficial. And I've got a girl that I train right now that competes in Olympic weightlifting, and her bottom positions are so strong. Um, basically if she can pull it to her belly button, she's going to finish the lifts. Um, so it just, again, there's that broad range, but you know, I do think unless you're going to make a career out of it, you need to find what kind of lifter you are and kind of hold to that standard. And if you're a strength lifter, then maximize that, you know, I mean, yeah, work your technique, but recognize you're never going to have, you know, pyrostemus technique, you know, it's probably not going to happen but at the same time gradually work your technique and then just get as strong as you humanly can um but most of the time you know just thinking like where i see the majority of lists fail it's usually the bottom position it's either people scared to get into that rock bottom position or they're unstable in the bottom position you know that's it because i i've seen people front squat uh, 250 kilos and then not be able to catch 150 kilo clean at the bottom. And it just makes no sense to me. Like if if you can front rack a 250 kilo squat front squat and squat it, you know, you should at least be able to do 225 and a clean and stand it up. So I don't know. It's just different people have different strengths, you know, and you're constantly working that one-on-one with the individual to figure out what it is. Right. Yeah, definitely. So, um, I don't
1: know that that's awesome, man. You know, um, I did have a question, uh, about why I've seen so many, uh, track athletes, not rack, um, a front squat, but I have a good idea of what you're going to say, but, um, yeah. So, so I guess I, I might as well just ask the question, why, why is it that I see, Uh, So many people on social media not, um, you know, racking their uh, cleans or they're sometimes not even doing a full snatch, just uh, high pulling and and letting go.
2: There's just no need. You know, it's a real simple – if we look at what is the benefit for sport, the benefit for sport is in that first three feet, the pull from the ground or from the hang – It's that initial impulse that you can apply to the bar and everything after that, if you're not a, you know, competing Olympic weightlifter, everything out after that is a risk. Like quite simply, I mean, if you look at the risk versus reward, um, once you finish the pull, everything beyond that point is only risk, no added benefit. So then you ask yourself and I, and I don't say that condescendingly. I, I am like anyone else. I like seeing a racked lift that you actually say, Hey, this is a completed lift. Right. Um, But if I have, you know, an athlete whose contract is on the line and, and they're chasing a world record and they have a history of, you know, and shoulder instability in one of their shoulders, I'm never going to have them catch anything it just, it's just not worth it, you know? And, and, um, but then also you have the athletes that just like doing the lifts and to them, I say, let them go, let them do the lifts, you know? And, and some people, you know, if they're missing their high pulls, then you're going to say, Hey, I want you to actually catch one. So you can see that you have to pull it high enough, right? Otherwise maybe they're not putting enough into their high pulls. So it, You know, I love like the Chinese Panda pulls and some of the high pull variations that are out there. Um, But even so, I've always racked my snatches, um, even if I do it at lower weights, mainly to maintain my shoulder flexibility uh, and my overhead strength. But I can tell you a lot of throwers, um, it is the pull is all they care about, the, the quick pull, and it's not worth especially like in shot putters with banged up wrists anyway from throwing the shot put for so many years, certainly not worth the front rack position. If they're not, you know, if they're fighting flexibility to get it, it's just not worth it.
1: Yeah, there's, and I agree. I I think I, I think I accounted for what you were going to say, but I think it's good for um, some of my kids that listen to this podcast uh, to hear what you have to say about it. Um, but yeah there there is a really big risk if you don't have the right timing of of taking like an elbow or elbow to knee contact or just like you said, bad wrist mobility, things like that. Um, so yeah,
2: yeah, it's always you know, I've heard it put several ways, but one of the ways I really liked hearing it is like if i if I get super strong, you know my goal would be. Let me load 315 pounds up on the bar and do a snatch pull with it. And let me see how high I can pull that bar. Not let's see if I can then throw myself under it and catch it. But how much force can I apply to it from the ground to physically see how high I can pull it? That is a better measure for me of my power output than popping it to belly button height and then pulling myself under and throwing myself in the full bottom position. Right. So it just kind of depends. Uh, Again, it depends on where you're at in your training cycle, what your goal is, if you're injury prone, what your previous injury history is. Um, I can tell you for like high school athletes, it is a lot easier to teach them how to high pull correctly. And then the ones that are really exceptional at it, then you start saying, All right, here's, you know, we, we drift our elbows back during the, the snatch pull. Then we snap our wrist under. And, and then, you know, you can go through the process of how to catch. But, um, but you can get pretty far with an athlete just teaching them how to do a violent pull, you know, so. Yeah,
1: because uh, that pull builds so much. I mean, it builds your hamstrings, your, your back, your upper back, especially if you're doing like um, uh, heaving hang cleans, which is something that I have recently come into contact with. Um, kind of like just what you used to do in high school. Like if you had straps, you're just going straight from the knees, not really worrying about your contact point, but just kind of yanking on the bar, getting it up to your shoulders and bringing it back down. There's no no rack at all. It's just... Yeah, uh, just kind of heaving into it. It it can build a lot um, more more than what some of the technique freaks out there uh, care
2: care to realize. So, oh, and it's funny because everyone will make fun of those people, but you think about the amount of force it takes to pull in a short distance with a narrow grip, like you have with your clean grip. Right, the amount of force it takes to pull a bar up to even chest level it, it's ridiculous, and you can never. Convince me they're not getting something out of it especially then when they drop it straight back down you have that force eccentric you have the braking motion then you're doing it again if you're doing multiple reps and and yeah it's not pretty and i don't want to see them starfishing their feet out and doing all these other things but if you can get them to just simply do the pull correctly they're getting a lot out of it for sure what's next Keep it
0: it's really awesome to hear you kind of just reaffirm reaffirming some of the stuff that we've talked about uh, in previous episodes, where like force production being the king of of all uh, training training adaptations, uh, and and worrying about technique if if it's what your dictates. Yeah. Um. So Zach, I'm kind of curious, just from a, because I'm looking to go into a PhD program here in the future, just from an academic perspective how did you manage the demands of whether it be you know going to class yourself as a student or you teaching classes as a professor and also all the time necessary that you needed to train yourself also how, how did that uh how did that get managed in your in your experience
2: oh man it's it's just being disciplined like everything else like with your diet with everything it's it's realizing I think too many people say there's not enough time in the day when in fact there's plenty of time in the day it's you know the scrolling instagrams and all those things that are eating up the time um yeah I just made it it was very like one thing I still do to this day I get up I'm in my office in Indianapolis you know I live in Columbus I'm in Indianapolis by 5 a.m every day for work and so that means I get up at you know, between three forty-five and like four o'clock in the morning. And, uh, Let's go. <laughs> and is that ideal? No. You know, should I get more sleep? Sure. But I have things I want to get done. And if I want to get those things done, then I figure out how to make it work. And I've done that since, oh, I would say I really started because, you know, ball state, we had spring ball. I remember spring of 2000, three and I had to get up for the first group of lifters for football at like 5.00 AM. Yep. And here I was, you know, I was a 22, 23 year old guy. And as a strength coach, I was just, I was hating life. I thought that was the dumbest thing ever. And then, you know, I just got used to it. And I, I have kept that same basic schedule since then. I just, it's the prime time, yep. you know, and then I'm, I'm the type I'll go to my office if I've got a lot of writing or something to do, I'll get a lot done in four or five hours. And then I take my break. I try to get my workout in, um, then come back to the grind. And then that leaves the evenings for other things. I knew, like when I was doing Highland games for doing all my throws practices and it's just prioritizing and realizing, you know, we go through this throughout all of life. It's not a, unfortunately it's not once you figure it out it's done you know you're gonna have priorities roll in and out of your life forever but you know i have this conversation with my wife right now because you know we're both in our early 40s and for her getting back on the bandwagon of working out regularly it's tough you know you got you have things that are legitimately you have to do and but it's also saying this is I have to work out too. So when am I going to do it? Well, you figure out when you can fit it in. Um, but it's, you know, to this day there's things like I got up at, at six this morning, I had three, um, things going on the stove. I had my rice cooker full of 20 cups of rice. You know, I do my meal prep every Sunday. Um, no matter how busy my Sunday is going to be, I figure out when I can fit it in and then, You know, I have food for the entire week. I don't have to worry about a thing. It's just, it's having that discipline. And I've done that for so many years now. It's, you know, I don't even think about it. So, yeah.
0: I was just curious because so many of my professors uh, at Indy are about like five, seven years older than me. And they're kind of at that turning point where like they're starting to have kids, they have family now and like. You can tell that they maybe don't have the time to prioritize training like they used to. Uh, And I just wanted to make sure I didn't fall into that trap as well. If I do follow your footsteps into academia. Hey, do you have a Nate Eckert right now, Professor Eckert? I do, yeah.
2: Have you ever told him about me?
0: (laughs) No, we haven't had the opportunity to talk about you, no.
2: So Nate, Dr. Eckert, was my first PhD student.
0: Is that right?
2: I was I was his dissertation chair, and I gave him his PhD.
0: That is too cool. So there might you go. I just have to email him a link to this
2: episode and let him listen in. And he was a he was my training partner for years, for a couple of years when he was finishing up his PhD. I absolutely Nate's quite possibly in my top three favorite humans on this earth. Uh, he's he is a good dude, and. Um, you want to talk about someone who knows it and has worked through it. And he is, he is the epitome of hard worker. Um, so there you go. There's a, there's a little
0: fun fact for you. Yeah, that is super cool. Um, yeah. He definitely strikes me as the type of person to work hard and not ever give up on a goal. Uh, and when we had him last in the lab, he was talking about still trying to grind towards hitting that 600 pound squat. Yep. Um, so. <laughs> I wish him the best I hope he hits that because that's a huge target to go after
2: it is it is and he just he he's one of those guys that'll just keep his head down and you know I'm the same way and I think that's you know let's face it none of us are genetic freaks you know and it's like when I was a Highland game pro all the other pros were you know in that 6'2 to 6'6 range and you know, 300 to 350 pounds and move like Jaguars and, you know, they're just freak athletes. And here I am five ten and a half, and a half. And, you know, but I can outwork people consistently and it's not even, you know, yeah, they might squash me in a single lift or a single, you know, session, but the reality is I'm just going to keep coming back. You know, and, and I do it when no one's looking and when no one needs to, you know, I don't need the fanfare or the, you know, the the highlight of my life was when I retired from Highland Games because I didn't have to post on Instagram anymore because I just, I hate that stuff.
0: Know. <laughs> you and me both. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it I was get a kick out of people who, They have, they have to post photos of their exercise sessions otherwise you know people that wouldn't have happened it. yeah no it
2: was uh it was funny because i had sponsors so i needed to post but it was i mean as you can imagine every day was like here's my snatch workout hey look i'm basically wearing the same clothes i wore the last video i put up oh look i'm doing basically the same weights yep this is what it is yep so And now I just post like pictures of my cats or my daughter or something stupid I see. So that's where my life has, uh, devolved to now. Like I said, so (laughs) uh, that's just
0: great. (laughs) It
2: still
0: blows my
1: mind that I didn't know like anything about you at all. So, um, yeah, this is, this has been an incredible episode. We definitely, uh, picked up a diamond out of Columbus so yeah
0: yeah
2: Um, it's funny I used to you know I used to train people at Tipton Lakes Athletic Club where JT is at and did it just for fun and I remember when I first started training people there it was the same thing no one knows and and no one cares and I don't broadcast it it's you know but yeah I've had a long history in it and had You know, been around a lot of different athletes and a lot of different people and um, certainly lived the life. And and it's funny being in, you know, like track and Highland Games and Strongman and some of these things that are just very starkly different crowds and people. Um, But you definitely get the experience of all of them. And, uh, And it's just been a long time. You know, I started. You know, if you say starting in college in 1998, so that's just, that's 23 years right there, not even including high school. And, you know, and I started lifting, I think I started in seventh grade, um, just pushing weights around, but, um, but I was always strong. It was just a matter of, I, I always use the, the analogy for me. I'm like a Ford Mustang on a Ford Escort chassis, right? Like. <laughs> I've got all the horsepower, it's just what's going to break down first (laughs)
0: and
2: and that's been the the history of my my career, it's like I I get super strong, I have a lot of success and then some catastrophic failure of the system and then it's clawing your way back and try to figure it out again so (laughs) well
0: um, Zach, I'm curious because you've been around strength sports for so long. Have you had any, any run-ins with athletes using steroids? Do you want to weigh in on that as a topic or do you want to just kind of steer clear of that? Oh, I don't care.
2: No, it's a, okay. uh, it is, it is very specific to the sport. Yeah, um, And even that has changed over time. I think, like track and field has cleaned up a lot. Um, back in my day in track and field, there were still people uh, certainly using performance enhancing drugs. Um, the testing was much, I would say, there certainly wasn't nearly the out of competition testing and, and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I remember my senior year being on the, the, podium at NCAAs and I mean I've always I've always been very muscular and and we always had the running joke that I was going to get randomly tested whenever there was testing and um I remember being up on the podium and I had gotten like seventh or sixth or something and you know I wasn't even in the top three um but I was the one randomly selected off the podium at this was at like LSU my senior year and uh you know, walked immediately from the podium to the tent to take a pee test. But, uh, but it's, you know, I think track and fields cleaned up a lot. Um, I think, you know, weightlifting, that's a tough one. We're cleaned up a lot. The USA is, which is also why we don't win shit. Um, I mean, if you want my honest, like I've, got a pretty good insight and know a lot of people around and it's you know other countries they haven't cleaned up and they're just it's it is a numbers game for a lot of countries and it's you know it used to be the the country federations paying off the IWF and and you know limiting the number of out of competition tests that their athletes have to under you know undergo and um now it's more of the game of, well, if we have, you know, X number of athletes, we're willing to sacrifice a certain percent of them that they'll test hot so long as we get a couple world records from these other ones, right? So it's, uh, I, like I said, I think USA weightlifting is very clean right now, and I think they do a really good job, but they're not playing in the same field, so who really cares? Um, there's no morality Olympic gold right and so that's a tough um i wish everyone was on the same playing field but they're not so yeah. don't don't pretend like they are and and it's really hard to um reconcile that and um other sports i think you know if you really get down to all other strength sports that aren't really tested it's rampant i mean it's there's no denying it um you know a professional strongman the only thing they test for is speed amphetamines cuz they don't want you to have a heart attack on television okay yeah that's yeah, it.
1: So, so what I, I read something not too long ago it's kind of like the uh the clause that it's in there like yes these athletes can get tested but it's whether or not they'll use the drug test at all so so i think that's both in crossfit and in strongman
2: so um yeah it's like they have
1: the opportunity to test him but there's no reason to test him
2: yeah but they're never going to you have to realize in most of these sports that are actually where the organizers are smart uh they don't want to limit drug use they want to see the most absurd people out there possible um in strongman again like world's strongest man the contract literally states like we don't we will not, here are the drugs we will test you for. And it's things that are all basically like speed that could accelerate heart rate and risk that someone would die on a nationally televised program. Um, I have a very good friend who competed in a couple of World's Strongest bands, and he was very blunt about it and just said, yeah, they, that's, they just don't want to have the black eye of someone dying because they're 400 pounds and have a heart attack which obviously that risk is there anyway, but, um, I don't know. It's such a tough question. And, and I think, um, I think my overall answer is it's far more rampant than what you would think. Uh, but only in certain sports, you know, I, I do think there are some sports that have cleaned up pretty well. Um, and there's just, it's not worth the risk. Uh, but then there are other sports that, you know, it just, it is part of the culture and it's always going to be there. Um, I personally, I've always followed along the line of, I don't care, whatever you do. I mean, in college and professional track, I was, I remember hearing all the rumblings all the time of this guy's on this and this guy's on that. And, and you heard it from pretty good sources and all I ever thought at the time, because I was very new to hammer throwing. And it was, I had such a steep trajectory as it was just from learning the event um, that I always felt really good every time I beat one of those supposed dopers. Cause it was like, well, that's all right. I could still beat them, you know? And um, but at the same time, I just never really paid much attention to it. I think it's, I think it's absolutely terrible that a lot of these kids are getting into them now. Um, because they're just wrecking their bodies. Um, from a very early age when they don't even know what they're capable of anyway. But it's a tough, tough question. It's always going to be around, uh, you know, and and people are always going to be lying about it. So who cares? (laughs) You're never going to get a straight answer. So Well,
0: and like you said, with, with sports like the Highland games, or even, even NFL football, it doesn't want to, have that look of like, oh yeah, we tested all these athletes and they're they're taking PEDs. You know, it just looks bad for them. It hurts their image.
2: Yeah, um, not, and they don't want to wear that. No, and they're not going to administrate. You know, if you have a twenty nine year old NFL player who's looking to get their last contract and stay in the league for another year or two, and you know, it's a difference of three or four million more in their life before they ride off into the sunset and become an insurance broker or something. Right. You're going to tell me that they're not going to use whatever is fairly readily provided to them. You're you're nuts. You're nuts. You know, the NFL just cares about the look of having the people with the illicit drug bust. Right. But even there, it's you know, they're not going to publicize it because it hurts the image. And, you know, it's that way with tons of sports and you just can't you're never going to get rid of it. So I get a lot of people ask, well, what's the answer then? Do you crack down testing more or do you just make it a free market, you know, open, do whatever you want kind of world? I don't, I don't know the answer. You know, I don't know which is, which is better or which is worse. I know if you really clamp down on everybody, viewership numbers are going to go way down because the performances won't be as good. Just saying that broadly. Uh, there won't be the freaks out there and people want to see freaks. That's why they tune into strength sports. Um, But at the same time, if you just open it up and allow people to do whatever they want, people are going to be dying left and right. And do you want that black eye for the, so I, I don't know. Good luck. When you guys solve that riddle, (laughs) you left hell. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, oh, yeah,
0: we've we've had a little bit of discussion about this in the past, and it's it's just like you said, there's there's no straight answer. Um,
1: yeah, there's so much just controversy and
0: corruption. It's uh, it's
1: going to take a whole lot of time to get something lined out, but if if there ever will be something lined out, so, um, I I, I guess I'll have a give you a question that's a little bit different, away from drugs, but who is your like top three weightlifters ever since we are kind of a weightlifting show. Mm -hmm. And then what, what's, what's your
2: favorite movie? Oh Lord. All right. Uh, let's see. Top three weightlifters. Uh, Kaki Kakashvili from Greece in the uh, late nineties, early two thousands. Um, he was in Pyrrhus Dimas's shadow but he was a far better lifter than Piros. Like he held more world records. Um, He had one of the first real squat jerks before the Chinese came through and uh, started doing it all the time, but he was unreal. Um, Look that one up. Another one, uh, let's see, Simon Kolecki. He was a Polish Mm -hmm. weightlifter, same time, late 90s uh, early two thousands. I remember because at that time we used to get on iron mind, you could go on and order the DVDs. And I remember we ordered, I think I was a freshman in college. I ordered the, it would have been the 99 Europeans or 99 world championships in weightlifting. And kolechki was actually behind Kakashvili and kolechki was only a 19 year old at the time. And, uh, And he needed, I can't remember the numbers now, but basically he needed a eight kilo increase on the clean and jerk world record to beat Kakashvili in the weight class for the overall. And he loaded up nine kilos above the world record and he cleaned it and stood it up. He didn't come close to the jerk, but that was definitely one of my favorites because he was one of those noodle arm guys that was all thighs um yeah let's see i, I
1: love the old uh iron mine videos just oh,
2: over youtube they're great the the bulgarian training hall videos some of those um you know definitely a lot of the old bulgarians i just they they were just animals uh trying to think who else i'd really I mean, how can you not love Lasha right now? Lasha's – Yeah. it's That's a tough one because he's, he's so insane. Um, Do you but, think
1: we'll see 227 from him in the snatch?
2: Oh, I think so. I, I don't think he's – I think he's doing just what Alexiev did. He's just bumping a kilo at a time to keep getting those bonuses. Right. Um. I don't think he's anywhere near top down. I think his clean and jerk still needs some work. Yeah, um, his jerk is definitely his limiting factor. But his snatch, I my God, I've never actually seen him. I mean, maybe he'll take a step out, small step out as he's standing it up on occasion. But there's never really been a struggle. Um,
1: no, I think I've only seen him fail like uh, 220, like two or two years ago. And that, that was like his only international fail um, <laughs> in, in a long time. So... But, oh, you know,
2: I'll add another one to this, though. My, actual, my third on this list, if you want, my third favorite, is Gore Manassian, the guy who keeps getting second to him now. Yeah, 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 yeah. The guy who, when he snatches the bars like a quarter of an inch above his head, because he's short and stocky with short arms.
1: <laughs> and he's got his grip all the way out to the yep. ends of the bar. Oh, my. He looks like he's going to hit
2: himself in the forehead. Yeah, Gore's one of my favorites, because that, that guy does not look like he should be a weightlifter and and hell, no. at the last, at the last big championship, he did like a 215, 217, I think it was. 217 snatch, yeah, so that's ridiculous too, but, uh, so there's my weightlifters movie, Oh, World War Z, the zombie movie. Okay. Only because I love fast zombies. <laughs> like, fa- everybody always has the slow, dumb zombies, and the fast zombies are the ones that are really scary, and um doesn't hurt it's got brad pitt and he's such a dreamboat but um (laughs) but yeah fast zombies world war z when they make the noise inside the inside the walls of jerusalem and and they start climbing the walls and oh that's yeah that's spot on that's my movie right there
1: well there you have it uh world war z if you haven't seen it go look it up it's a great movie i agree (laughs)
0: Uh, JT, what do you got, man? Anything else? You know, I think think we covered everything I wanted to hit. Um, Zach, do you have anything you want to say to the benefit of the people out there listening? I say there's, there's no
2: shame in the struggle, right? There's no shame in, you know, going in every week knowing you've got snatch, front squat, back squat, clean, Clean and jerk, maybe an overhead press, and just going through that week after week after week and fighting those marginal gains because you are making yourself better. And uh, everybody wants the flash, um, but it's just not necessary. You know, it's not. It's not what's going to make you better in the long run. And what's going to make you better in the long run is, I mean, wearing out that barbell with your grip because you've use that same barbell so many times um it's not sexy but it works everybody wants that quick fix nobody
0: wants to do the work yep
2: and don't and don't worry if if you're 18 19 20 if you're 24 and still fighting this thing and you're, you're you're gonna keep getting better um don't stress out over it
1: and that's that's what's great about this podcast you know we're we're all on the climb together where uh, everyone is, is in some way, at least the platform, embracing the dark. So
0: um, JT, I'll let you close this out, man. Zach, I just want to say once again, thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, yeah, to thanks everyone thanks out, for
1: taking time out of your holiday weekend, by the way. No for problem.
0: sure. Um, for everybody out there listening, you know, I hope you enjoyed this. Had some insight into what it takes to be a successful athlete at the highest level. Um, and as always, if you have any questions for us, don't don't hesitate to reach out. You can reach via Instagram and email. Um, you know, I think Zach said it really well. You know, get out, do the work, find that barbell that you really like, and wear it out with that hook grip. You know, whether it's in front of your face or on your back hands on the barbell. Uh, doesn't wait. That's all you can do. Get better one day at a time, one week at a time, and they start stacking up. Everybody enjoy this uh, beautiful Memorial Day weekend. Um, and Make sure you get back in there on Tuesday, training hard, hook, grip that barbell, and rip it.